So God says, let there be light. And there was light. Now notice these repetitions. God said, God said, God said. This is very important. Because remember, Ra creates the sun. And then Shu creates breath or heat. And Geb creates the land. And Nut creates the sky. All these different gods are creating different things. But through the creation God, God said, God said, God said, God said, God said, God said. So the, the next thing that he's making is, I am the creator of all things. I don't need anybody else's help. Yes, the angels are there with me, but I don't need them. They're not helping me. They're not doing anything. They're just praising. And so the point is, he said, now you also get this pattern because on the first day he speaks once, on the second day he speaks twice, on the third day he speaks twice. The land and the plants. And then this fourth day he speaks once, the fifth day he speaks once, on the sixth day he speaks twice. Animals and humans. And so you get an order there. So not only is he weaving order and just forming and filling, but he is also weaving order by tying, mirroring this with that. Day three and day six. And that'll be important too. And so he's, he said, he said, said, said. He said, he said, said, said. And so you get him as the author. Now also he speaks it through his word. Divine fiat is what the scholars call it. The divine command. You don't get that. With the gods, when they come into existence, that sun kind of just already exists because they're created. And then if they do create, you got to like take your mom's body and rip her in half. And that's a lot of work. That's the Babylonian account if you didn't read it. <laughs> You're like, what are you talking about? Okay. So the reality is there's a lot of work. The closest you get to the spoken word is the Egyptian account. And the Egyptian account, some of the gods do speak things into existence, but it's through incantations and rituals and magical words. And they have to work really hard to weave these spells like Harry Potter or something. But for God, he just says, light, boom, there it is. Land, boom, there it is. There's no him working on the right spells and trying to get the right hand motions in place. There's no him battling chaos and evil. He just speaks and it happens. And that's a very important thing of God says. And then you also get the repetition of, it was good. It was good. It was good. Good means that everything is in its right place, Working and functioning the way it's supposed to do. Okay, don't think morality yet. Right now it's just everything is orderly, everything is right. So that when God looks at it, he can say, it is good. The other gods can't say that. There's a lot of things messed up and wrong with the things. And so it is good, it's good. Now here's what's interesting. He never pronounced the second day good. It's one of those things that you don't get because it's absent. He never, and part of the reason is... It's because it is good because there is light. And light is very much who God is and a part of God's life and blessings. But it's not good on day two because it's just water. And remember, water does not sustain life. Water does not bring blessings. Water is the void. So when the land reveals, then it can be called good. Because now everything is right, functioning the way it's supposed to. Because light is a thing in itself but only wiring together becomes complete ecosystem. And so that also not only is an interesting observation, but it emphasizes day three, three even more. The fact that he speaks twice on day three and then withholds his good until day three makes day three even more emphasized, which we'll get there. Okay. And the other repetition you see is there was evening and there was morning. 
which feels weird to us because for us there's morning and then there's evening. Now technically, the day begins at midnight, so technically there was evening and morning and then evening. But as far as actively being involved, it's morning and evening. Now, it's evening and morning is first, and this is why the Jewish day began in the evening. So when the sun sets, that's when their day began. Why? Because God said it. <laughs> if God said the first day was evening and morning, then it must, that's when the day begins. But there's a theological point being made here too. And the point is this. What is evening? Darkness. What is morning? Light. So each day begins disorderly, but by the time God gets done with that day, it is now ordered. And so he is bringing order to each day, and that's why he can call it, it is good. So this is all disordered, the darkness. So he brings light and then separates them orderly. Therefore, now it is morning. This is all disordered with water all being mixed together. Separating them and putting them in the right place, he can now say it is good and ordered. And so the, the evening and the morning is communicating more of a less of a scientific 24-hour day and more of a principle of that things begin disorderly, but when God gets done, it ends orderly. Which then comes into your life and says, how do you live your life? Can you honestly say that you end the day by bringing more order to things than chaos? Are you the kind of person that ends each day with, you brought more chaos and disorder to the day? Or did you reflect the image of God by doing what God does, and you end the day by bringing a little bit more order? Maybe not a whole lot, because some chaoses are really hard to overcome, even with the Holy Spirit. But did you bring more? And that's what you're called to. Because if we're called to reflect the image of God, then if this is what God does with each day, then that's what we're supposed to do with each day. And if God forms and fills, then we go into people's lives and we go into businesses and we go into organizations and we form and we fill. And if God orders, we order. And if God speaks life into things, we speak life into things. And so the point that God is making is this is how he lives his days. And you're his image. Therefore, you live your day like that as well. And that's the point here. Is it a literal day? Probably most likely, yeah. Because here's the fact. The fact that he uses the word day, the fact that he numbers the days, the fact that they're sequential, the fact that it all ends when they complete week, that all communicates that this is real days, the way that we think of days. But at the same time, is it on a 24-hour day? Don't know. I'm not going to tell you that it's like billions and billions of years each day, but I don't think the point that God is making is that Remember, we also know the speed of light is slowing down. Okay, it's at least 30 times slower than it was in 10,000 BC. Okay, that's a scientific fact. That can be measured. Okay, people were living to be into the, almost to a thousand years old. We don't know how time operated back then. I know I just threw like a bomb under your door and th closed it. But the reality is this: it is a day, and it's a day in the way that we think about it. But hours and minutes, I don't know. Who cares? The reality is, it doesn't threaten God. Because God has already made it clear that this, the point is he's undoing the chaos. And I know some people get really like, oh, it's got to be 24 literal hours. That doesn't threaten God. He could do it in 24 seconds, 24 nanoseconds. I do believe that it's a day because all the sequentialness says that. But that's not the point. 
That's not the point. So, yes, but no. The point is that he is responsible for all this. And so as he creates this, he brings light. Now notice that he does not create the darkness. And he does not call the darkness good. He only calls the light good. But he separates the darkness from the light. And that's what he calls good. But here's the other thing. To name something gives you authority over it. That's very, even in magic and stuff, like people have magical names, and if you ask them their name, they're like, I'm not going to tell you a name, because to know their name gives you control over them and authority over them. This is why you name your animals. This is why you name your children. You're exercising your authority over them. Okay, and so the reality is to name something gives authority. So even though he doesn't call the darkness good, he names the darkness. Which means he has authority over it. And everything in creation, unlike humans, obey his will. Because when he tells the darkness to go over there, the darkness obeys and goes over there. And that's the first thing you need to understand. When God tells the sea to be calm, the sea calms. When God tells the darkness to go over there, it goes over there. This is why it's so important for you to understand who God is, so that when Jesus comes walking on the storm in the middle of the darkness, he's saying, I am God. Because only the darkness and only the storm obeys the will of God. And so when God, Jesus says, it's calm, and the same non-magical ritual incantation way that God spoke here, he is saying, I am God. He's directly connecting himself back to creation. Okay? He is saying, I subdue evil and chaos. I control nature. And that's why you need to understand what's happening here. Arguing over the scientific ramifications of this does not scream Jesus God. Knowing what God does here screams He is sovereign over your life and He can control everything. You have nothing to fear. And that when Jesus shows up, oh my gosh, that's God. That's why the disciples say, who is this? But even the storm obeys Him and the wind that hovered over the surface of the water. That's the point that is being made here. That's the point that is being made here. And so, he then comes the second day. Now notice, we don't know where water came from. It just is. Okay, now yes, God did create it, but that's for another chapter and verse. Okay, don't try to make these things say what they're not saying. So he takes the water and he separates them above and below, which is kind of like the ripping of your mother's body. Not yours, but Marduk. So Marduk takes his mom's body and grabs her by the mouth and he rips her in half because remember she is the sea. And he throws one part of her up and the other part down and that becomes the waters above and the waters below. Notice that this is not a battle, this is not violent, this is not gross, and this is not relationally violating. That's the point. The point is that God separated the waters in the way that they already think of the waters being separated drastically different than the way that they think of it. And the waters obey. They go exactly where he tells them to go. And so then he puts them there. Now he says he put expanse between the waters above and below. The expanse, he doesn't name it. It's not the sky. It might be. Well, he names the expanse. It's the sky, but it's not the waters above. The sky is not the waters above. The sky is the expanse. We don't know what the expanse is. And the Hebrew, the expanse and poetry is a metal drum that is metaled out and it's shiny and it's hard. 
You're like, well, that's not scientifically accurate. No, it's not. Okay, it's not scientifically accurate. In fact, we're going to be told that he put the sun, the moon, and stars in the sky. That's not accurate. If that was accurate, we'd all be burning up in a big ball of flame by now. Yeah, how many millions of Earths can you get in the sun? There's no way you get the sun in the sky. What is he describing? The way that it appears. Remember, this is pre-scientific. Okay, the only way that we even know that the sun is not in the sky is spaceships and telescopes. Without that, where would you think the sun is? In the sky, because that's where it looks like. So that's how he's... God is not saying, the first thing that I want to teach you Jews is I really want to explode your physics understanding of the universe. You have no concept of these scientific terms, so we're going to spend probably the next 40 years just defining scientific terms so that I can blow your mind on the universe. The first thing he's communicating is, there was no battle. I just spoke and it's separate. God's not trying to teach them. That can come. Listen, we're not living any better lives with all of our scientific information and technology than they were hundreds of years ago. God's not waiting for the next technological advancement so that he can like speak truth in our lives and say, now your life can be better. God is waiting to speak who he is into our life. And that's what changes. So yes, is this, did, did God do this? Yes. But this is more of a metaphor, and it's more the way that it looks. Like when I go see the sunset, every time you said that, you're a liar. Because it does the sunset. No, it's a metaphor. But is there a very real scientific fact behind that metaphorical phrase? Yes. And can that metaphor mean only one thing? Yes. Same thing here. When God said he put the sun in the sky, that's a metaphor. But does that mean that there's no science behind that? No. He just chose not to explain it. Just like I don't say, last night I bought my wife flowers, and we sat on the circumference of the earth and rotated backwards together. Okay, that's not as romantic. And it takes way too long to explain. There is a scientific information behind that. But I'm more interested in communicating something different than science at that moment. Okay, does that make sense? Does it make this inaccurate? Does it make it not true? It just means it was communicated in a different way and it could be communicated in a different way later on, if God chooses to reveal that to us. And so he separates them. Now, we get to the land. Now this is important. Notice that the land isn't technically created either. He just kind of moves the waters back and, boom, it's there. Okay, now, this is very important. The fact that he's delayed good, and the fact that he's speaking twice on this day, that's very important because land becomes the first most important thing in the creation account. And it becomes the first more important thing because God is revealing the land, and when the land comes, he can now call it good, and he now can allow fruits and trees and all this stuff to grow, and that's where life comes from. And all throughout the Bible, land is one of the most important things in the Bible. So important that God says to Abraham, I'm going to give you a Land. It's the first thing he says. And then all throughout the Torah is the promised land. And then because of their sins, he says, I'm going to kick you out of the land. Land is the most important thing. Because land is where you find. So you need to understand that in the Bible, land is synonymous with life and blessing. In fact, 
it's going to become so important that to not be in the land is not to be a part of the covenant of God. Which becomes very important when Esther refuses to come back to the land. That says something about how she feels about the covenant of Abraham. Or when Elijah leaves the land, that says something about how, what he's saying about Israel. That whole going in and out of the land is very important. In fact, so, that what will be the first connection to the land? When they sin, Adam and Eve, is they'll get kicked out of the land. And they'll no longer have life and blessing. So land becomes life and blessing. It's synonymous with the covenant. It's synonymous with blessing. It's synonymous with everything. And land is the most important thing, which means, and this one's going to take a while to develop because we've got to go through all the seven days to develop it. But he's going to create Adam and Eve out of the land. Okay, so we're actually not only is it one of the most important things in blessing, but we are actually connected to it on some kind of biological, metaphysical level. I don't know. Okay, and so the reality is this is very important. And so he creates, he reveals the land, which becomes the source of blessing. The way that God is going to bless us. The way that God is going to physically manifest his blessings to us. Yes, we think of blessings as joy, peace, hope, and love, but the land becomes a physical manifestation of that. So that when you have grain, you can actually have life. When you have wine, you experience some joy. Okay? And so these things are going to be physical representations of that. 